The escalating war between Hamas and Israel could be a big threat to Bitcoin, according to a bunch of traders not named me because I tend to disagree with that sentiment, but it makes for a great title to a YouTube stream. But BitVM can change everything. If you guys haven't seen this, we're getting yet another proposal to make Bitcoin more programmable and be able to do all the things that shitcoins can do, which I know is very exciting to Bitcoiners. But I've got someone who's actually building on Bitcoin to join today. That is Alex Miller, one of my favorite guests, both on YouTube and Spaces. We're going to talk about BitVM, whether it's a good idea, whether it's better to be building on Layer 2s, and when we'll see Layer 7s in Bitcoin. We're not really going to talk about that, but maybe we'll get there one day. Guys, we got another great stream for you today. Of course, Texas West Capital, Christopher Inks on the back end, telling us what he thinks of the market looking at charts. Let's go. Let's go. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Malker, also known as the Wolf of All Streets. Before we get started, please subscribe to the channel and hit that like button. I'm getting faster and faster and faster with that as the days go. I'm going to just go ahead and bring on Alex right now, and we're going to talk about everything that's happening in this market right now. It's hard, honestly, man, not to just uh, pack it in uh, while the war is happening, you know, and I think that that's been a lot of people's gut instinct. I know we do Twitter spaces and like uh, Mario hosts a whole bunch of spaces in the finance space, just they haven't done it this week, right? And we've been sort of pushing through with uh, the crypto town hall because we feel it is important at least to review these things and, and to show up and answer people's questions. But I don't know if you're finding it the same way, but a, a bit hard to focus on, on work with everything that's happening right now in the world. Yeah, it's not awesome. I mean, the... Um... I'm really conflicted about the amount of conversation everyone that we all have going on because like on one hand, the, both the dopamine hit and I think just the grounding of trying to gather information is just really core to the human experience in a time like this. But man, we just we don't know anything right now. It's so I mean, it's literally called the fog of war for a reason. And I I wish I could say I was better about getting offline and just, you know, decompressing myself and touching grass. Uh, but no, I'm doing the same thing and constantly refreshing like everyone else is. Yeah, I think that's the natural reaction. I remember the, you know, the, the first Gulf War when I was a young teenager and you just went to the few news stations once or twice a day. You got your update yep. from Tom Brokaw or Peter Jennings or Dan Rather, you know, actual reliable news sources, and you moved on with your life. Now it really is just a constant flood. I find it pretty hard to... Uh, to, to to consume all of it. And I think that's been that's been pretty clear. But obviously, a big part of that is the takes on what could happen with Bitcoin, right? And we yeah. have this uh, article here from Coindesk. Bitcoin could fall. Uh, it's so, so direct. Could. It's possible. Could fall as market braces for spread of Israeli-Hamas war. And then it goes on to say there's three traders who had different opinions. Of course, we found three guys, and they all disagree on what might happen to the price of a nascent asset in the future. I don't really think that uh, the war is going to directly affect Bitcoin, but I would love your thoughts. About the same. Like, I, you know, whenever someone asks me for price predictions on Bitcoin or any crypto, I'm like, sometime in the next three months, it will go up to 10%, it will go down 10%, and it will then do something else. Good, solid. Like, solid. No, one, no one really knows. And I mean, so I run actually, my wife and I run a uh, small like venture capital side fund called Chaotic Capital. And literally the entire idea behind this fund is that humans are terrible, terrible at predicting the second, let alone third order effects of anything that happens, right? And the thing that's crazy to me about people being like, oh, this is going to happen to Bitcoin because what's going on? I'm like, first off, you don't know what's going to happen in the Middle East right now. Like, Apparently, the U.S. right now is going around hardcore to Lebanon and a bunch of other countries and being like, don't fucking escalate this, right? Like, there's a lot of people working very hard to make sure it doesn't escalate. There are lots of people working hard to make sure it does. So, like, no, A, nobody knows what's going to happen there. You don't know what the other effects are going to be. And then, so you certainly don't know the third order effects of how that's going to impact Bitcoin because it's, as you pointed out, it's still too new an asset. And I know it's 15 years old, but it's still too new an asset Nothing. for people to have any idea how it reacts to major world events um, in something like this. So, yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. And we were sort of talking offline before we started and you made, I think, the best point, which is, yeah, maybe it has a, a major effect on the global economy if right. it escalates and pushes the world into recession or something. And then we can talk about the effects of Bitcoin. But then again, that's a third or fourth order effect, not right. a direct effect of a war. Yeah, I think, you know, th there was uh, I've listened to some smart folks over the last, uh, you know, week or so on different stuff. Actually, there's a can really you send them my way because I've just yeah. seen morons. <laughs> well, look, if you can get if you can get the president of the Chicago Fed to come on the show, I'd be super impressed. Um, but, you know, he made a really good point that, like, look, he thinks the Fed can actually like thread the needle on the inflation soft landing. The one danger is and this is a giant one is what's the exogenic shock? that might hit it, right? Like if we don't get any insane shocks, we can actually probably thread the needle without a recession because normally recessions at the end of the day, like there's preceding events and factors, but like something usually tips it over, right? Something something makes yeah. it so you can no longer the credit adapt. Event, to it. whatever, whatever and they it, finally break. Right. So what's that event going to be? Will it be a war in the Middle East? Maybe. Will it just be an auto strike? Maybe. You know, we don't we don't know. Um, and again, that's why even if say this war causes some kind of, you know, global economic change and that causes change, you don't know when it's going to happen. You don't know which aspect of it's going to be, but honestly, I always I'm, laugh though, when it's like a fed governor who tells you they're going to thread the needle, it's like slight vested interest and, uh, tell you how amazing of a job they're doing. <laughs> well, sure. But, but yeah, it could happen. Funny, the funny thing they, about it is that. I think especially when you're talking about economic and monetary policy, it is very much a case of how much people believe you is the greatest determinant of if you're able to do the job or not, right? Ye old self-fulfilling prophecy. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, that makes sense. And I just laugh. You talked about chaotic capital and the very idea that people are horrible at understanding even the first order, but certainly the second and third order effects of things and the fed is literally like using lagging data from oh, yeah. you know 12 and 18 months ago and predictive markets have been horribly wrong about everything that was going to happen with recession rate hikes and rate cuts even when it was like 99 certainty that we see yep. three rate cuts by the end of 2023 now it's like 2029 bro like they might we might recess yeah, a little bit. And, and, and I think as humans, the only thing we're really we ever really try and do is pattern match. Right. And you had someone on we were on a space earlier this week and I forget who it was, but they made a really good point, which is like, you know, if you're if you're talking about like Middle East and oil, like you kind of have to throw all of history out the window because we've never been in a conflict like this at the same time that the U.S. is the biggest oil exporter in the world. So all of this stuff of like, well, what if they shut down pipelines? It's like, well, it doesn't really matter. We we're a net exporter right now. Yeah. Um, this is, this isn't like uh yeah, we're not raiding Iraq and running straight over to Kuwait to and Iraq to get their oil rigs like in the last one, which we did a terrible job of securing by the way. But um, you know, we all know that those were oil oil wars, right? And so a war in the Middle East that's not about oil is really something different, I think, and that is an important nuance. By the way, there are people who think that Bitcoin is a tremendously good bet in a time of geopolitical strife. This guy, billionaire Paul Tudor Jones, yeah. backs Bitcoin and gold as geopolitical risks rise. Now, not a big surprise because Paul Tudor Jones has been a Bitcoin bull for quite a long time. But it is nice when you have an article on Coindesk where you have three random traders you've never heard of telling you what might, could, possibly, potentially, maybe happen with Bitcoin to have this guy come in and be like, shut up, this is great in a time of geopolitical strife yep i mean look i love bitcoin i think it's a good long-term bet on things i think it's really interesting both for the technical applications and stuff but like someone talking right now is just pumping their own bags oh sure i mean he literally said i can't love stocks but i love bitcoin and gold yeah, exactly so you know what i'd say is As stocks you, go up if you were gonna buy bitcoin <laughs> yesterday because you think bitcoin's good in 10 years buy bitcoin if you weren't, don't buy it because you think it's a good bet tomorrow. I said the same thing on a spaces yesterday. There was this guy who's like, I'm a Bitcoin maxi and I want to know if I should be buying Bitcoin now because the war is a hedge. I was like, if you're calling yourself a Bitcoin maxi, you've been buying Bitcoin anyways.
Yeah. Like nothing, nothing changed today in the world that should shake your conviction as a Bitcoin maximalist. And certainly nothing happened that's going to make you say, man, I hated this yesterday, but I really yep. love it today. Yeah. Also, I, there's I no one time you should be buying stuff, just dollar cost average. Always not financial advice, cost. but I agree with his yes. not financial advice. And then, you know, right after you get a legend billionaire like Paul Tudor Jones telling you there's a great time to buy gold and Bitcoin. On the flip side, you get uh, Jim Cramer. Mr. Bitcoin is about to go down. All right, so we're about to rip then. <laughs> Sweet. It's, it is on. It is crazy that the guy seems like he's always wrong, but he I think he does have a history, actually, of, of being right. Maybe in, in Jim's defense, if you have to make calls all day, every day, yeah, most of them are going to be wrong. So, you know, as I recall, he was not a terrible fund manager back when he was doing it. But yeah, the um, look, being a TV personality, A, it's entertainment. It's not news or financial analysis. It's entertainment. And he's got to spend all day constantly making calls. And it's really easy to go back and find all of the ones he was wrong on, which there's some good ones. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a confirmation bias for those of us who love the the old meme of, you know, of this. But I am looking forward to seeing everyone posting about this on Twitter and how Bitcoin's about to. Yeah, I mean, at least we'll have like something to laugh about for a day. But OK, now we've talked about the market. I think that we all concur that right now is really not the time to talk about the market because it's going to do what it's going to do. But what you actually specialize in, obviously, is building on Bitcoin, right? Yep. Obviously, Hero and, and your involvement there then with Stacks, building on layer twos to make Bitcoin more scalable. Well, right now we have, of course, Bitcoin transactions seeing sharp decline following Ordinal's peak hype. So maybe, listen, we have people who don't follow it so closely. You could give us the like two-minute TLDR on the huge Ordinal spike, how Ordinal's actually yeah. function on the layer one, and then maybe why you believe the layer two is better, which will transition us into the next kind of conversation. Yeah, so Ordinal's are a really cool innovation that came out in like February of this year. And basically what it does is we've always assumed that every kind of every single Satoshi, right, the 100 millionth of a Bitcoin is completely fungible. You can't uniquely identify them. And it turns out that's actually not true. You totally can. And using the witness data in Bitcoin blocks, four megabytes per block, you can store data on the Bitcoin chain, uniquely link it to a unique Satoshi and then trade that Satoshi. Right. So basically make a non fungible token, except, uh, you know, NFTs and things on all other networks they're just a pointer to like an IPFS file. Whereas here, you can actually embed the data on the Bitcoin chain. Like you, and it can be, it can be an image, it can be a text file. Like Scott, if you got some cool secret national security information in a PDF file and wanted to embed it onto the Bitcoin chain forever, like you could do that using ordinals. Um, so it's really powerful. Um, in, in When it comes to storing data on the chain, people poured into it right away, both kind of, OG Bitcoiners, but also, you know, a lot of folks from other ecosystems who wanted to see it, like Yuga Labs, the, uh, you know, creators of Board Ape and things immediately started uh, playing with it and released a collection there and things. So it then about two months in really broke the Bitcoin chain, as it said, because uh, they, someone came up with this BRC20 standard. Uh, what's that sound like? ERC20, right? So basically, how can we make... Coincidence. Yeah, how can we make meme coins and fungible tokens on Bitcoin? Um, the only issue is it's so it's a super open standard, but incredibly technically inefficient because it's basically just JSON files written into an ordinals inscription. And so everyone like land goes to land grab these tokens and, you know, drove uh, the cost of Bitcoin transactions to like, 500 sats per byte and you um, couldn't even get a transaction through no, no, no. And, and extreme it, premium so the mempool is the, completely full here's the really important thing it did when it comes to the long-term future of bitcoin is it actually for several days had you had inversions in miners making more money from transaction fees and from mining rewards. yeah and especially with you know the next having coming up in you know, at the end of April of 2024, it's highlighting the fact that like, look, if Bitcoin is going to be long-term viable, it is going to have to have greater and greater transaction fees over time. Well, either you have to have constant increase in the price, which sure maybe happens, 
But ultimately, long term, there will ultimately be no Bitcoin being given away as a block reward in like 40 years from now. And so it, the network has to be useful enough to people that they are willing to pay a lot of very high trans transaction fees to use it. And this also comes around to why we, uh, you know, at Hero and a lot of other folks are such big believers on layer twos, is that what layer twos allow you to do, similar to the way layer twos on, Bit on Ethereum work, is both A, add new functionality like fully programmable smart contracts like we have on the Stacks network, but also they, you know, by rolling up huge numbers of transactions, you can get a lot more functionality, run them a lot cheaper, but those transactions themselves kind of settling everything back to the Bitcoin chain are now insanely, insanely valuable. And so people will pay hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of dollars to write one of these transactions to the Bitcoin chain in a way that you're not to like, you know, Venmo your friend 50 bucks. You're not going to pay $100 to send someone $50. Although uh, there was a time with ERC-20 that seemed like that's what you had to do if you wanted to send somebody $50. Yeah. <laughs> the last bull market, uh, Ethereum and, transactions were so incredibly high. People and couldn't that's even why, do swaps. And NFTs died because someone couldn't sell a $10 NFT without you paying $200 to mint it. Yep. I paid a lot of money to get my uh, um, ENS domain. I think I paid $75 to register a $5 yeah. Yeah, I mean, then, but we were all willing to do it because we knew that Ethereum would actually get it done, which was not necessarily the case in a lot of other places. It's yep. funny that there was such a controversy about ordinals when effectively the Genesis block had a transcription. Yeah, right? I mean, it's, it's not like Satoshi didn't do this. Yeah, Chancellor I mean, on the brink of a second. Yeah. So my my favorite thing was all the maxis and like, look, I I have some dear friends who are maxis. I have one who referred to ordinals as a programming bug. Uh, despite it being like literally the most exciting innovation in Bitcoin in years. Um, but, you know, the funny thing I like is, you know, they're complaining about, you know, you're putting monkey JPEGs in my perfect decentralized money and you're breaking it for, you know, the legitimate uses of Bitcoin, right? People need this to transact with and you're breaking it and keeping them from. I'm like, I'm sorry, you have a chain that you are saying is going to like replace the global finance system for 8 billion people. And yet, like, a couple thousand degen traders swapping monkey pictures and meme coins. Those wizards are an existential threat. Right. To like, how, how, how do you finance. reconcile those two? How do you say that it's going to do all this if it can't handle this? So humans, you can know, do it. I love breaking the Bitcoin chain now because it's stress testing. It lets us figure out, hey, how do we scale it for the future so it's usable for everyone? Okay, well, then that leads us to the next topic, which we, we thought was actually big enough to put in the title, right? We've got BitVM, yes. Compute Anything on Bitcoin from Robin Linus here. If you guys haven't seen it, here's the actual PDF. I think it's worth a read. Actually, I think it's very interesting, but I think that maybe uh, you are a skeptic of this to some degree. Right. I mean, look, not a skeptic of it in theory, but for all the reasons you just talked about, that right. this would be incredibly inefficient to do it. Exactly. So I think BitVM's... Awesome. Again, I love anytime someone tries to do innovation on the layer one, I'm pretty darn happy, right? I love seeing, and we've seen a lot of this happening, again, especially since Ordinals came out, it's really led to a revival of the innovation we saw in Bitcoin. You know, if you go back to especially pre-Ethereum, things like color coins and whatnot, you saw a lot of people trying to innovate and make Bitcoin programmable and do stuff there. And, you know, the whole reason that Ethereum even got created in the first place is that Vitalik got really fed up with the Bitcoin community opposing doing some of these innovations. And so where things have moved in the last few years is people like, okay, we're never going to get a soft fork of Bitcoin. You're never going to introduce more like functionality for this stuff. So we're just going to find crazy hacks and workarounds to make it work using the existing structure. Um, there are proposals for stuff like drive chains, but again, there's a lot of opposition to them from people. And so, you know, like Ordinals was, BitVM is basically saying, okay, how can we take what Bitcoin can already do and add the programmability there? The downside to that is that it's really convoluted. Um, it's basically you play, you know, two players and only two players can play sort of a logic game using like 128 NAND gates. You have to do a bunch of computation off chain, um, but you can, you can verify the logic on chain, right? You can store it in a transaction and it can be verifiable on chain. Uh, so like it works, but it's expensive both on and off chain and it's 
you know, it, it's limited and complicated enough that it's it's probably not going to take off would be my guess. And like I, I said, read this and my brain hurts so bad, like nothing yeah. makes me feel stupider than reading it's, white it's paper. It's both so. written, it's interesting white paper because it's both written in plain English. It is. But you also definitely have to have at least some basis in a lot of this stuff to fully grasp it. Unlike, you know, I think the Bitcoin white, if you go back and read the original Bitcoin white paper, it's awesome because, man, it is just, it is true plain English, like almost. Yeah, you, uh, you actually understand it. I mean, listen, this is understandable, but I got down to like number three on this. You know, we got this and, you know, my ADHD kicked in hard. And I was like, oh, look, a squirrel. Yeah. You know, and then I, and then I moved on, on with my life. But uh, conceptually, it does seem really interesting, but doesn't seem necessary when you have things like stacks and, and hero, obviously, and, and what you guys are, are building on your side. Maybe talk about exactly what you guys are focusing on right mm. now and why that's actually better than this. Yeah. So we at here, we're a dev tools company for building on Bitcoin, right? So we build stuff for ordinals. Um, we build stuff for stacks. There's other things we've got coming out soon. Uh, but the idea behind stacks is there's a there's multiple layer twos in uh, the Bitcoin ecosystem, right? The best of which known is Lightning, which is for payments, right? Super fast, super cheap payments. Um, stacks is about fully expressive smart contracts on top of Bitcoin. So you basically all of that functionality that's inherent to the chain that you see on like Ethereum and Solana and stuff, we were building it or the community has built, built it and is continuing to build it as a layer two on top of Bitcoin. So you get all of that inherent programmability and super cheap transactions, but it still settles back to and is secured by Bitcoin. And you also get really angry maxis, which is a great- Oh concept. my God. Well, and again, this goes this goes to really interesting stuff about when you're building in Bitcoin and the technical decisions you make. Um, you know, there's an argument that Lightning, as cool as it is in certain respects, is a little overly complicated and hard to work with. And the reason yeah. is because they went to the ends of the earth to avoid using a token. And there is a reason that tokens exist. And I'm not talking about like meme coins and shit coins, but I'm talking about like the tokens that underpin actual networks that can be used for programmability. The reason that Bitcoin created a token is you need an economic incentive for people to mine. You need an economic incentive and, and, and a way for people to transact. And if you engineer your entire system around not having a token, you're going to have to make certain trade-offs. Um, and so that's the reason that like the Stacks community when doing it, we're like, no, we got to have a token. But yes, uh, there's a lot of Bitcoin maxis who hate anything that is not pure, unadulterated Bitcoin. And they don't love us for that. How dare you use my censorship resistant, decentralized network for something that I, as the president of Bitcoin, do not directly approve of, Alex? I'm, I apologize. I should have never even considered it. Craig Wright didn't even tell you you could do it. Oh, my God. You know, the man's a genius. I just, I don't understand how he came up with so many good ideas and Somebody, did everything on his somebody's own. Gonna, somebody's going to literally edit out that clip of us and just post it online with no context. And we're going to also, all of a sudden, we're going to get like hate from the Maxis, but we're going to be here. Hey, but at least we don't get sued by Craig Wright for saying that he's not Satoshi. That's true. We will not get sued. You did not just say that, by the way. You said we won't get sued for saying that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. If he had heard you saying that, we yeah, no, literally no, no. airmail paper airplane lawsuit into the face. Right. I'm I'm just saying that Craig Wright is not Satoshi is something that people have said and gotten sued for. Yeah, even though factually correct. He's yeah. not Satoshi. Um, but factually correct. Okay, we got a couple minutes, like three minutes left. Here's the final question. Why should all this stuff be built on Bitcoin and not everywhere else that it's already being built? Sure. Or has been built, I should say. Yeah. I mean, look, Bitcoin is the it's the OG chain. It's the OG currency. It's the thing people trust. Um, and it's the place people want to build. Like, it, that's what I come back to again with something like Ordinals is it's not just that it's a cool technology. It's that it showed how desperate people are to come back and build this on top of Bitcoin. But ultimately, chains have network effects. Um, you know, there's only going to be a few 10 years from now that survive. And I'm not saying that the ones that do are even all created now. Um, but I think Bitcoin has shown it has the lasting power. It has the staying power. It is what's trusted by people. And so, you know, if you want to build something that's going to last for decades, why not, you know, you, you got to do it on a stable surface. And, and I think that's the thing that Bitcoin provides for a lot of people. Um, you know, and, and do you think that it can be done with the same 
we'll call it robust, even though we know Ethereum is also like 80s technology at this point, but like with the same, you know, sort of uh, robust functionality as can exist on other chains that are potentially yeah, I mean, like I said, I think it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. It's going to happen on L2s, um, both from a functionality and a scalability perspective, right? Bitcoin's never going to be able to sustain on the L1 the level of transaction volume nor the speed, you know, it's 10 minute blocks. And when we say 10 minute blocks, it's actually four minutes to 60 minutes, right? With the next upgrade on the Stacks network that the community is working on now and is releasing probably about a month before the next halving, you know, it's going to be five second blocks. Right? So that's exciting. Yeah. An that, hour to five seconds. That's, that's a meaningful uh, improvement. But five seconds and under a penny to run a transaction is what you need to be usable to people, especially as we move to cell phones more for crypto and things. So, yeah, I think this will. I think this will all get built in the Bitcoin ecosystem. Um, Dude, that doesn't necessarily phone? mean on the L1. You have a cell phone? I'm jealous. That's awesome. Yeah, I got, I got, I got two cell phones actually. Didn't know that. Yeah, you have to have two phones if you're a real like OG crypto guy. Yeah. I have, you know, I, I, I have one functional cell phone. Well, even the fact that we're calling them cell phones, by the way, shows like we're showing our asses a little bit. But my other one is just for Google Authenticator. <laughs> um, I, I will, I don't comment on what security protocols or software programs I use or not. Don't blame you because you, you actually know what's happening here. All right, man. Well, thank you. Always a pleasure. Thanks for waking up early. Cause I can see it's still dark where you're at. Yes, it's, it's the sun is starting to rise in the background here. Oh, well, we'll, we'll look forward to that. It seems to happen every day, no matter what we, what we do to try to stop yeah. it. All right, man. Thank you so much, Alex, everybody follow him. He's in the, uh, down there in the comments is his Twitter account. Uh, Alex, always a pleasure, man. I love talking Thanks, to you. Thanks, man. Always a great time with you. Here soon. All right, man. Bye. Have a good one. What is up? We're back. And now it's time to see what Chris thinks about the big threat to Bitcoin. It's the title, man. I don't know. I didn't write it. Uh, I'm the worst YouTuber. I'm so bad. It's horrible. I, I was like, I'm sorry. I was talking to my producer. I'm like, I can't. I could be doing this and I could be telling you about like how everything's going to explode and this is going to happen and whatever, but I just don't give a shit, man. The world is a really brutal place right now. And I don't I like, ugh, I can't anyways, Chris, <laughs> uh, does war, does war change your opinion of the charts or the asset? Do you think that, uh, this war will fundamentally change Bitcoin in any way, shape or form, or is it just pure clickbait media hyperbole that I've now, I guess, technically participated in? Yeah, what's going on, man? Um, I, you know, again, the way I look at uh, at the charts and what's going on is, you know, pretty much the opposite of the way most people do. Um, I, I think res I think wars are the result of um, of a per of of a a society's social mood. So the more um, depressive and pessimistic and whatnot that they get. Uh, you know, the less they're going to put their money in the markets, the more they're going to pull their money out of the markets, market comes down. So it's showing you, the market itself is showing you how society feels at that time. And it's usually, if you look back, I mean, you can look at, for instance, uh, Russia's invasion of Crimea and Ukraine. You can see that those are right around the bottoms of its stock market, um, you know, just, just to bring up some more recent kind of events. So, um, you know, I know people want to say, oh, yeah, you know, war is going to cause all this and do all that. Um, but I think you kind of look at the charts for it and um, the charts, you know, for us, especially, uh, you know, are, are pretty high. Right. Um, you know, if we're looking at stock market, for instance, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up there toward that all time high again. It's it's not the, Dude, the conditions the, that we look for in the market to kind of tell us that the that society's feeling a certain way. So the market doesn't care about good news or bad news right now. I can tell you that. <laughs> it's just it's just doing doing its thing. Is that the dollar you got pulled up there? Yeah, yeah, the well, dollar. Yeah, man. Start, you know, again, I think you know, it looks really interesting. About, we were talking about you know for I guess a month or two now. We've been talking about uh, some levels we were looking at. Um, this gets us right up here around that fifty percent retracement. Um, so you know, a solid you know wave two uh, flat. You here. said one hundred and seven to one hundred and eight. Yeah, yeah. Over we're and right over here, again. One hundred seven point three three. So. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it works well. We, we fall through the, as you can see here, the ascending support here. Um, we're looking for an impulsive breakdown through the daily pivot. That's right around uh, 105.43 or so. If we can get that, we're probably headed down to new lows. But, uh, you know, along the way, 102.936. And then um, the swing low down here at 99.578 are our targets. 
to head on down there. So I'm, um, you know, again, o- overall, I mean, everybody freaking, oh my God, it's been going, it's going up. And I mean, this, this is all it did, you know, we got to bounce around a hundred, which you should expect. It's, you know, it's a tens number. It's a zeros number. It's a round number. Um, so yeah, I mean, nothing it doing basically what, what we're kind of looking for it to do. So now we just look for it to fall through lower. Yeah. I mean, I have the weekly here and, uh, I talked about this yesterday, but this candle structure that's forming right here, that's about right. as potentially bearish as it gets. You already had the little upwick here, but now getting this gravestone here or whatever yeah. you want to call it there, everyone has a different name, but long wick up, small, <laughs> small red body <laughs> bad. Right. And then we'll see, I guess, how the, how the week closes here but follow through with another upwick. I mean, this is, you know, if you were trading this as an altcoin or something, you would be getting uh, pretty short or certainly exiting a position on something like this, right? This yeah. shows that the bulls are completely exhausted and that the bear sense, bears are really uh, kicking in here. And this makes sense. I mean, by the way, if it was wartime, you know, if like this was an actual world war escalating, you would expect that bonds would go up, meaning yields would go down initially. Right. People yeah. start buying bonds. So yeah, this is exactly what we would expect for people who don't understand. We talk about it all the time. But when people say that people often hear the term like it's been the worst bond market of all time, which it has. And then they see yields going up and they don't understand. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? It's a bad bond market. Yields are like have absolutely ripped. That's bad because that means that any previous bond with a lower yield is going down in value. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, and, and people, you know, again, uh, people tend to be very emotional. Uh, they have their, their opinions um, uh, on, on what they think is, is happening and what's, what that's supposed to mean. And then what that meaning is going to lead to in terms of markets, um, you know, and uh, most of the time people are wrong. You know, again, like you said, if it was a shit coin, you, you know, you'd, you'd be selling the hell out of that. Right. But people are like, oh, no, but the dollar's going to keep going. I'm going to keep going up. Well, I mean, you know, is it one or is it the other? I mean, you know, you, the problem is a lot of times people get in there, they get side sidetracked by their um, by their emotion, and uh, it's it's tough. You know, it's tough. That's the it's the toughest thing as a trader. I always say, you know, trading is simple. It's not easy. Anybody that tells you trading is easy is lying to you. Don't listen to them. Run the other way because the difficult part is not understanding how to trade it. You can learn risk management. These are just rules. They're simple. Follow the rules, right? But it's that dealing with the emotional and the psychological side of yourself. That is really, really difficult. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's mean, what I, makes us human. <laughs> I often look at TLT as sort of just a proxy for the bond market, obviously, being the tw- iShares 20 year ETF. That, listen, we're far from the monthly candle closing, but this insane volume down here on the sell off, maybe if we get this wick and close a little bit higher, that to me would look like a serious capitulation bottom for bonds, right? And if bonds are bottoming, that probably means the dollar is going to continue down and yields are going to flip and, and start heading down as well, right? So, and, and that means stocks ridge. Frankly, yeah, yeah. I mean, exactly. You know, we, you know, I covered TLT um, every week, a couple of times a week, um, with what we do, and you know, we were watching this sideways for forever, kind of expecting it to continue to break down. But you know, you kind of have to wait for it. It, you know, took its little sweet time here. But uh, I mean, for me, this seems like it's done uh, from the the weekly here, from that high up there. Uh, it seems like it's done. Uh, we're right here around the target area, 83.37. We've got this bullish divergence and oversold here on the weekly, this large one for about a year here. It's from October of and, last uh, the year. The monthly. The monthly is about to print one if it goes up any higher on what I just showed you, by the way. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, again, we see this, right? And again, if we jump here to the weekly, especially, it's easy to see. You've got this uh, big volume, you know, spikes down here right at the bottom. And then we're getting this reversal here. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think I think it's probably bottomed. Um, it looks pretty close. We've got a count that'll get us there. Uh, locally, I mean, I'd look for a breakout above the daily pivot here, a nice impulsive breakout above 90 and a half. Um, but that should get us on the other direction. And, you know, um, and, and everything else is kind of extremes, right? It's, ex- it's at the extremes of markets that everybody swears to you that it's just going to get so much worse, right? Or so much better. Uh, again, we can think of laser eyes on Bitcoin, you know, around April uh, before it had that first, you know, it hit the first top. Uh, in the last cycle, you know, and, uh, you know, it was that time I said, listen, guys, it doesn't have to be the top, but it's definitely a top. And, you know, it hit our target on the pullback. Uh, but, you know, it's the same thing. So bonds and everything, like you just said, everybody's, you know, extremes. Oh, it's the worst part of blah, blah, and all this is happening. And so they just shift into this extreme, extreme mode. And usually it's about that time that you should be looking, you know, other ways with it. So, uh, yeah, TLT, man, uh, to me, I think uh, we're probably bottom there finally or... <laughs> 
If not, we've got to be pretty dang close to it. Um, and so really just kind of looking for some upside to that now, which means, of course, the bond market uh, does its thing. You know, it does its little change there. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you have a Bitcoin chart we can take a look at? Yeah, I mean, I've got the same one I keep pulling up here. Uh, last time, uh, you know, I've been talking about it was uh, this blue square here being this uh, bearish uh, market structure coming down off that, that high. Uh, and I was talking about we were looking for a breakout uh, above that swing high right here. That's that 28.142 area because that, that's the last lower high on this bearish market structure. So let me kind of move this out of the way here. And so, of course, you know, we hit it, we hit it, we hit it, and then boom, big volume, big candle spread coming out of there. That's what we want to see. Um, so we got the breakout then, uh, rallied up into the R1 pivot here on the daily. We're pulling back. Um, you know, usually when we're looking at pivots, if we, move, if we move in sideways like this between the pivot and the R1, uh, and we don't test the pivot, and we rally up to the R1 first, usually what happens is we'll come back down toward the pivot area. It doesn't have to hit the pivot, but just there's usually a support area just above it then it'll pull down to, and then it'll rally up higher. So right now we're just, again, just working in line with uh, with the expectations of, of what we normally do here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could see it, you know, potentially drop a little bit lower or around this area being the, the, um, the low here. But, I mean, right now this is, you know, this is three waves up. So this could still be an ABC. So we definitely want to see a breakout above that swing high on this uh, Bitstamp chart that's 28,592. We definitely want to see a break above there to give us at least a leading diagonal, if not a one, two, one, two, and then heading up. So, but you know, we broke through the uh, the downward channel here. We broke above the last lower high. Um, you know, thing things working out all right. We we rallied up off this bullish divergence that we talked about uh, previously on the show, uh, and it's just kind of continued going up there. So, I mean, again, nothing really going on there that that has me worried about anything. Um, but then again, yeah. I'm not trading the five minute chart either. So why not? Yeah, get in there. You know. Five second much, charter. You're not a trader, Chris. Too Everybody much effort, man. That. Too much effort. <laughs> yeah. If you ain't on the five second charter, you even uh, working hard. You got to work hard, man. You're not working hard <laughs> enough. Well, you know, it, it depends. You work smart, right? That, that's what I prefer to do. I prefer to work smart. I got too much to do to work hard all the time on everything. <laughs> Yeah, uh, some hilarious comments. Dez is asking if I'm wearing a McLaren top. Yes, in case you didn't see, it's a sweatshirt. Yeah, show off. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's just a sweatshirt. And don't you have to buy a car to get that hat? I mean, it's a Tiger Woods hat. I guess you maybe you have to have your wife beat your car to get this hat, um, oh. like Tiger Woods did. Oh, that was bad. Oh, Anyways, yeah. Chris, what other charts do you potentially have for us today? <laughs> Let's jump on over to some stock charts here, man. Um, so lately, I've been looking at these um, these stock charts that had like the largest uh, fifty-two week uh, declines, and a lot of them on the weekly and the monthly. I mean, are looking pristine, like 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 it's bottomed or right around it. So um, I figure we'll take a look at these because often people don't Love catch uh, reversals, right? Uh, this right here is uh, DG, it's Dollar General. Uh, we've got this, you know, this kind of 65% pullback, basically just hitting this previous area of resistance and support right here in the low volume node. I mean, I can't say enough of the buzzwords. Um, it's just a good setup. Um, big capitulation coming in here. Uh, this, this here is the monthly, of course. Oversold Stoke RSI and RSI here. We can jump into the weekly, you know, well oversold the weekly. Look oh, at yeah. all the volume picking up down here. So, you know, again, it was all kind of as we were through here, we're there. First capitulation, a little bit of volume comes down. Second capitulation, even more volume here. Looking to try and get a reversal somewhere around here. Even if we zoom into the daily, the daily suggests we could potentially jump down to the S1 pivot here on the daily, which is right around uh, $94 or so. Um, but man, you know, if, if we go from here, we break out above that daily pivot right there at about, what is it, about 115 and a half or so. If we can do that from here, or if we get down to the S1 pivot, I'd be looking for a reason to buy that, uh, buy a reversal there. Impulsive breakout above the pivot. We should at least, at the very least, kind of fill in this gap here right around 155 or so. So massive, you know, potential upside just on that first bit there. But again, with my chart, it looks like, you know, it's it's a pullback wave two is complete and we'd be breaking out to a new all time high. But minimally, we've potentially got a 50, you know, 50 percent run on on that alone. So you're so, not concerned that retail is dead. It's all over and the dollar general is going to go out of business across the world. Well, you know, 
<laughs> it's always got to be the worst, right? Because <laughs> uh, that's what you hear about Target and Walmart these days when people are taking a look at their uh, stocks, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, that that's a pretty incredible looking chart. Especially, I mean, I don't even, I'm looking now, I'm looking at the monthly, but I don't even think it has a, it doesn't even have a monthly 200 MA yet. But if you even revert to the 200 MA, it's a 2X. It's up yeah. here at like 200. Yep. I mean, yeah. And now you've got, of course, the late death cross, which is yeah, but look at how far it's already dropped, right? I mean, it's yeah. already had a significant decline. So, you know, I'm support. not, you know, I mean, me, I'm 96. not a big fan of the death cross yeah. and the gold, golden cross because usually they come in so late. Uh, but like on this one, again, huge, huge decline before you finally get the death cross there. So it's just kind of telling you, hey, listen, it's happened. Weekly uh, RSI at 15 is not something you often see on a decent company. Exactly. Exactly. So minimally, we go, should get I'm some gonna buy sort of some. great balance. <laughs> I'm going to buy that. All right. Uh, <laughs> note to self. Bye-bye, Dollar General. <laughs> what, what, um, what else we got? I've got AES right here. Um, and as you can see, this is, again, starting out the monthly chart here. Absolutely perfect tap down here at this uh, demand structure EQ right here. It's right there um, at this high volume node, just beyond the 70.5% pullback. Um, you know, again, it's, it's an ABC. I mean, there's not a whole lot more I can't say about it. The monthly didn't quite hit oversold here. Um, but we do have, uh, if we look here, we've got uh, higher lows and we do have, um, on your, uh, right here, we have lower lows. So we've got hidden bullish divergence, uh, potentially printing here. And this has been a great rally off that monthly, uh, again, dropping into the weekly, again, capitulation down here, large candle, large volume, getting that bounce on that. Uh, if we can clear that S2 pivot right there on the weekly here, you know, if we're looking at this bigger picture, Right around 14 and a half. Um, I see little reason to think that we shouldn't at least get 20, um, at least. So, again, another uh, initial first pop. And then, uh, you know, we should, I would think, break out higher than that. Uh, Daily has got a great hammer candle there off that um, that pin bar there, off that, uh, that support. We're rallying up. Uh, you know, again, it's not going to go up over, you know, straight up. But uh, – if we can get a, you know, again, a little bit bigger picture here, if we can get an impulsive breakout here above that daily pivot around $16, $16.10 around there, um, I think, you know, we should rally it up through here, uh, through the R5 pivot, get us up above $23 easily. Um, so, yeah, you know, I mean, again, another potentially great setup, um, not looking terrible at all. Got a lot of volume pickup down here in this into this low area. So uh, another setup there, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I, I'm actually, this is the first time where like, I'm like, wow, Dollar General, man. You know, it makes so much sense. Even if there's a downturn, you would think that Dollar General would perform well just based on the, you know, cheap prices. Well, I believe it was the Dollar General during the great financial crisis. I think it was the Dollar General was the one that like outperformed. I mean, it was like huge. It did like huge yeah. during that. The entire I mean, time the, it went up when everything else went down. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What else? Yeah. Well, now we got six charts. Chris is taking us into the matrix. Well, you got a few of them here, you know, just to, again, just looking at these, um, these 52 week, you know, big, uh, drops. Um, this is Chewy here. Uh, my dog loves the commercials. Um, <laughs> we were kind of doing this here, uh, could potentially be bottomed here, but if it drops down lower, I'd be looking down here at the S one pivot again, 15, $15 and 35 cents or so to get that reversal. Ultimately, I'm looking for an impulsive breakout here above the daily pivot, which is around 20, almost 20 and a half. Uh, if we can do that, we should minimally fill in the gap here up to around 27, was that about 2730 or so? Uh, but if we're doing that, then we should run the pivots here, probably all the way up here to around 37, $38. Uh, and to me, that would just be the start. We start on the daily here, but we can look at the weekly. Uh, down here, you can see we're right around that S1 pivot. Uh, volume pickup again, as we kind of, with the spike on the drop up here to break us down through this support, and then volume picking up on all that follow through there. Monthly, again, jumping out through there. Um, we could, you know, I, I would love to see this monthly kind of pick up here. We got huge fair value gap here up through around $23. And then again, here up through $32 and some change. So if you're looking at that bigger monthly picture, you know, again, I, I think we got those fair value gaps to fill in. Once again, we do have bullet. Well, we have bullish divergence here. We've got uh, lower lows on price. We've got higher lows here on the monthly RSI. Monthly Stoke RSI has dipped down and oversold its reset. Um, so, uh, you know, again, looking for that, um, 
that kind of that move back up there to, and, and to kind of, you know, continue up. But I think locally we got a lot of good targets on that as well. Yeah, I mean, whether the bottom is totally in or it comes down for new lows eventually, you should at least see a humongous bounce. Yeah, we that, even exactly. if it makes a lower we high, just sell the lower high. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Nacious B says Chewy sent us a hand painted eight by eight canvas of our dog because my wife posted his picture in a product review. Cool that's company. awesome. See, the dogs love it. Dogs I'm and you. wives love it, guys. This is really playing to the uh, heartstrings of the men of the world. <laughs> uh, let me see here. I've got FMC here as well. Uh, let's start off with the monthly here. Again, look at that. We're uh, let me see. Did we actually reset? Yeah, we're we're pushing in right into oversold right now on the monthly. May or may not get it. Again, trying to find the EQ of this uh, this demand structure here. It's just basically this previous kind of support resistance area. Um, I could see this potentially continue on lower toward this S3 pivot on the monthly. It's right around $59 or so. We've got that low volume node there. So if we did ultimately get some further down, I would see that. But I mean, for the monthly alone, uh, you know, you've got a rally filling this fair value gap up here at around 80, was it almost $86 uh, on that monthly? If we jump to the weekly, uh, here we go. Again, well oversold. You know, again, the, these RSIs down here one more time, 14 again down here, 13 and some change. Um, Stoke RSI, of course, reset and oversold. Once again, volume pick up right down here into this low. So looking to get some follow through here. Uh, and then moving it into the daily. Uh, you know, once again, we're kind of at that area. We're kind of halfway here between a little bit between the uh, pivot and the S1. So we could potentially see a drop down to the S1 here at about $59, $59.10 cents right around there. But if we got that, I would be looking on the daily for uh, some reason to long on that. I would be looking to see some sort of reversal. Ultimately looking for an impulsive breakout above the pivot. That's about $73.20 or so. So whether we rally from here or hit the S1 and then rally, first targets that pivot area I just mentioned, if we can get impulsive breakout above that. Um, we've, we've got, you know, we've got, we've got this R1 pivot. It's a quick, easy target at 81. Um, but I see, you know, filling in this gap up here at around 101 and three quarters. Uh, gets us to another fair value gap, or I'm sorry, another um, low volume node there. And if we're there... Odds are likely we're going to break out through the uh, R5 here and fill in this gap uh, way up over here from, was that uh, May 1st? May 1st into May 2nd, that gap there. Um, and that probably gets you up there around 123 and some change. So, uh, again, a series of targets that look to set up. And each one of those that you hit adds more confidence to the idea that the bottom's in, which means you know, much, much higher uh, overall kind of going on that. And I realize a lot of what I'm talking about here is anti what everybody else talks about because everybody's saying, oh my God, it has to be the end of the world. It has to be, everything has to die here. But, you know, we've been saying that for a couple of years now, right? Um, and so the timing's off, you know, the, it's going to come. But, uh, you know, what, what do you do if you're a trader who thinks it actually has to come for the last two years, you're worn out now. You're stressed out. You're tired, right? Because you'd be constantly fighting for two years for it to happen. What if it doesn't happen until, uh, you know, 2030? What if this is the roaring 20s all over again, which is crazy to think about? Um, you know me, a couple of years back, I was thinking, you know, the top was going to be in there. Um, and then we got the top and the stocks and it wasn't any kind of blow off or anything. And so I said, well, it doesn't look right. We got three waves down. I said, man, it looks like going to new all time high. I mean, what if, what if it doesn't happen for another few years? Um, so I think as a trader investor, you've really got to kind of come to terms with it, um, that possibility, because otherwise, uh, you're going to be a, you're going to be living a miserable life. It's, it, and I'm not saying this to be me. I'm saying this because in, you know, psychologically, emotionally, it's very, very stressful to feel like the end of everything is coming and it not to come. And cause you're fighting what's actually happening, uh, day in and day out. And, uh, you know, it, it can be really, it can be a lot of, uh, a lot on a, you know, a human being on our, our whole psyche. Uh, to deal with that all the time. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, we're always wrong. Bottom line. Human. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, you're going to be. We're not, Spanish. A, not a good history of being good, right about prediction. So, yeah. That's right. That's right. Anyway, um, anything else? Well, I guess it's, we're, we're getting towards time here anyways. You got any more? Uh, let me see here. We don't want to pull up here. Maybe. Chris, um, Chris came prepared today. Much more than me. <laughs> uh, you know what? Let, let's look here at Wolf. Why not? Right. <laughs> um, I like that. I like that semiconductor, one. Um, company. Yes, here. I am. Yes, I. 
Um, I, I'm looking if, if we're if we don't rally from where we're at here, coming down a little bit further, I think we've got maybe like a $29.30 kind of target area. Um, this is the monthly, of course, uh, you know, not oversold here, but you see how that volume's really kind of starting to pick up here down in these lows. Let's kind of zoom in a bit here. Uh, weekly, again, looking at the idea that we've got this bullish divergence picking off here on the RSI. Uh, and we've got it down here. Uh, so, you know, a rally from here. The first thing I want to look up is this S1 pivot area, which is around $42, $43. If we can kind of break out above this swing high right here at uh, 49, uh, I think I think there's a good chance we get up here to around 80. And again, um, you know, impulsive breakout. This is the weekly here. Impulsive breakout above that, uh, the swing high just above it here at 87.93. Should lead us to new highs here above 142, um, you know, and those would be new uh, all-time highs there heading up. Uh, real quick, let's see what we got on the daily. Yeah, daily we're right there um, around, you know, we're, we're getting this reversal off uh, just below the S1 pivot here. So, again, you know, on the daily, impulsive breakout above about $41, that pivot there should get us a gap fill here up to around 53 if we're doing that, we're at the R2 pivot. Likely, we're going to run the pivots here through R5, uh, minimally get up here around 69, 69 and a half. And again, that kind of just sets the stage for further upside. So once again, another great setup. You're looking for the monthly on down, uh, large term, you know, bullish divergence. Nothing's guaranteed, of course, but uh, these are the kind of things I'm looking at. You know, when I'm looking, okay, where do I get in? Where do I find bottoms, uh, major bottoms where I don't have to do a lot of work? Get in here you know, and let it, let it run for a bit. Um, because if I'm wrong, the bottom's right there, right? My stop loss is real close. So I know that I'm wrong. I don't have to, you know, wait for a 50% up, you know, between the high and the low before I figure it out. Um, and if I'm right, guess what? I've got a huge, huge upside. It's the same reason we went in long there, Bitcoin down, uh, November lows, uh, stock market, you know, October, November, December lows, wherever you were in there, the indexes, um, same idea, same idea, right? And it's no reason to fight it. If, if it looks like it's low, Jump on it, proper risk management, and uh, go about your day, right? Love it. No money back guarantees, guys. Not That's financial right. advice, right? <laughs> Chris, I love that you came prepared. I love that we can finish with Wolf. Someone said, Wolf, is that Scott's business? Definitely not. <laughs> I wish, <laughs> probably. Uh, I have a feeling, uh, we wouldn't be here together if it was. But uh, anyways, all right, guys. Follow Texas West, uh, Tex West, TX West Capital on Twitter. Follow Chris. Also, as I always say, you know, check out his courses and Discord and all the amazing uh, content that he has for you guys. Really, always worth it. I was a big part of it back in the day. Yeah, very, you very, really, really the best, be best content out there. If you actually want to learn how to do this and not be a completely spastic moron who uh, moves their stop losses and loses all their money even when they're right, Chris is your guy. That's all I got for you today, man. Thank you so much, Chris. Take care, man. All right, guys. We'll see you all. Back here, same place tomorrow. See you later. Bye. That's dope.